0: Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Today, we're talking about The Flash, the Warner Brothers film currently in theaters, and my guests are the supervising sound editors. First, John Marquis, welcome to Below the Line.
1: Nice to meet you. Thanks, Skid.
0: And our next chair, Nancy Nugent title Nancy, glad you could join us. Hi, thank you. A quick warning for listeners. today's conversation may contain spoilers, but first, John and Nancy, you're both credited as supervising sound editor. John, you're also credited with sound design. Let's start with how these roles integrate into the larger post-production picture.
1: With my particular food group, I'm charged with you know providing all the sound effects. They'll allow the subjective design things uh, that are literal and non-literal in regards to the, the sound realm. I mean, with our supervising sound editor title, you know, we're working closely with other departments too, just to sculpt the overarching um, soundtrack. So we're working closely with the music department as well, visual effects, things like that, just to make sure that we're all uh, working in concert to make the soundtrack what it is all together. All those pieces work together seamlessly.
2: I'm primarily overseeing the production dialogue, ADR, loop group, and those editors working on those elements. And then we come together on the dub stage and, you know, make sure all the pieces are fitting.
0: So as supervising sound editors, you're overseeing the sound department as a whole.
2: Yeah. So as the supervisors, John and I are the conduits between our crew and the director, in this case, Andy Muschietti, and picture editors... Paul Matchless and Jason Valentin and their crews and working at concert.
0: Now, at what point do you become involved in the production? In other words, when do they start thinking about sound in a serious way?
1: I can only speak from our perspective. I'm sure directors and producers are thinking about it well in advance before they talk to us per se. But um, we got the script, obviously, before they were shooting, just to kind of start chewing on it and thinking about, you know, what aspects maybe during production we need to account for dialogue and sound effects production sound effects things like that and then also just to start you know percolating on you know the nature of some of these more um subjective moments or you know the style all the bits and pieces that are gonna be needed before we can actually start editing before they start turning over picture and we start working directly with those elements
2: they reached out to me during production because of some of the sonically tricky environments that they had to shoot in, um, just not being sure of the sound quality. And I listened to some dailies and it's like, yeah, this is going to be tricky. It's going to be problematic, but uh, VFX and everything necessitated working in some unfriendly environments sound wise. But uh, that was something that we knew from production we were going to have to deal with all the way through.
0: We've alluded to the collaboration and I'll in general, as listeners to this podcast know, that's a big part of filmmaking in general. Let's talk specifically about how important that was for The Flash.
1: There's a lot of moving pieces. It's a pretty big story with a a wide emotional arc and a lot of visceral realism and all that kind of stuff. So you're always kind of concerned that maybe some part of the puzzle, maybe some piece isn't on the same page. But um, it's pretty clear working with Andy and, and meeting with the crew, editorial crew, that we're all pointing in the same direction. So yeah, one of the the big challenges was just making sure that at least from from a sound design, sound effects perspective was going to be the music and just making sure that Ben Wallfish, our composer, and our team, we were all kind of talking and making sure we're Clearing for each other, working in concert, you know, in a, in a unified, homogenous way that we're not fighting with each other. Um, we had a great uh, music editor. His music editor, Lisa Richardson, was incredible in kind of being the liaison between Ben and the picture department and us. So we could beat out a really good template between the sound effects, dialogue, and music and a constant conversation. So we weren't surprised when we all got together and for preview mixes or you know, studio playbacks, things like that. We were always talking.
2: Great thing about working with Andy. uh, This is my second film with him and John's first. And he is so open to hearing everyone's ideas. He wants, he wants you to present him with stuff. He's always like, like, go crazy, you know, don't hold back whatever you want. He, he's very collaborative and, you know, the best idea wins, even though he Clearly is clear about his vision and and what he wants to put on the screen and the emotion he wants to feel. He's he really wants everyone to get creative and just kind of unleash.
1: Yeah, well, like when we'd watch, we'd do playbacks with him, like for a particular reel or something, and we'd play the whole reel back. And his first uh, viewing would just be uh, as a viewer, as an audience member. I don't even know if he'd watch it as a director necessarily, but he'd be just reacting and in the moment. And then he'd get to the end, and then he'd be like, "Okay, play it again." And we'd circle back, and then that would be kind of like the note pass and things like that, where he'd actually say, you know, this is where I was missing something in the first, or this is, I love this, let's push more of that. But it was really fun because he always seemed, he he was able to be really objective, it seemed like at times. He wasn't, um, I mean, obviously he's very close to the movie, but he was able to kind of distance himself and enjoy and watch it like a, a viewer.
0: Well, with that better understanding of the process, let's talk about some of the specific challenges that this movie entailed.
2: There was an unusual circumstance in this movie in that uh, Ezra Miller, the lead actor, plays two leading roles and then eventually a third role in the film. So, yeah, and that was what I was kind of referring to early on is shot on set was Ezra and another actor named Ed Wade. He has a huge role in The Flash, even though you don't see his face. He actually has a cameo at the end of the movie. He's a reporter that asks Barry a question. And even though that's the only time you see his face, you see the rest of him all the way through the film once the second Barry shows up. So we referred to them as original Barry and young Barry. So when they shot on set, it was Ezra and Ed, and they would interchange which one was playing which, which was in which costume, depending on the setup of the scene. And obviously, you know, there are VFX supervisor and who could speak better to that but as it affected the sound was that the first cut of the movie we heard Ezra and we heard Ed and before they showed the film to anyone even to the studio uh, the decision was made that they did not want to hear Ed's voice even though we're seeing Ed's face they wanted to hear Ezra's voice for both parts all the way through so very early on we did ADR I think it was January 22 we did two or three days of ADR with Ezra so that he could replace Ed's voice with his own voice playing each character. So we would do usually all original Barry, and then he'd kind of re-rack and get into Young Barry mode and do all of Young Barry. Over time, the visual effects over the next year, he slowly, you would see his face (laughs) replacing (laughs) Ed's face. Uh, But then that was all shot with audio. That may or may not have worked because of the situation they had to shoot those things in, which took place over months, almost a year after production. Wow. Ezra coming in to shoot his volume capture, what they call it, to replace Ed with other Ezra. Then we ended up needing to loop a little bit of that material because of the environment he was shot in not being acoustically friendly. And so it was it was definitely an unusual ongoing process putting him in that film twice and three times. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's the voice acting. As you said, he's got to be in the right headspace for the right character. But there are other technical things that you can do to help separate those voices. And I mean, things that you do on your side to the young Barry versus original Barry.
2: You know, I would love to say that I had a part in that. And there was an idea very early on in post that we do something to Ezra's voice, depending on which character he was playing. However, uh, Ezra, they're just a phenomenal actor. And the performances were so different that really nothing needed to be done, you know, technically to it. It just plays and I don't think there's ever a point where someone confuses original Barry with young Barry with dark flash or vice versa. They're just a really great actor. And so it was all in the performance.
1: Also, just a little side note the script and the original shooting, right, was a, a lot more complicated. Like, you know, when we get into the Chronicle sequence at the very end, there, turned, there were more than two berries. We were gotten to four, six. There was just like a, a blossoming of timelines converging. And so Barry was interacting with like three or four Barry more. Barry from of himself. five minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> it, ten minutes it, was, ago. it was amazing. But if you weren't paying attention, you were lost. <laughs> you were just like, it's like, goodness gracious. It
2: got to. It was great.
1: It was really fun. It was a really neat uh, idea, but I could easily see. I'm just like, man, audience is really going to have to hold on tight yeah. if they're going to be able to stick with four different berries at the same time. So
2: it was great uh, on paper, but it ended up being just a little too convoluted in the in the actual practice. Exactly.
0: And when you layer in the visual effects and sort of the editing, which again is capturing that same sort of frantic energy. Yeah. I think uh, any more berries might've blown my mind. One too many berries. (laughs) (laughs) But then from the sound perspective, so you have that large bowl sequence at the end, what additional sound are you bringing in? In other words, all this other work you've done, John, leading up to it. Talk to me more about the specifics of that.
1: Yeah, we had an, an amazing crew uh, from the beginning. Uh, Brandon Jones is one of the lead sound designers on this with uh, Tobias Papa and Tim Walston, um, helping round out all the the sound design. Randy Torres and Greg Tenbosch, solid. Uh, got us through the first, uh, I don't know how many temps, but uh, it wouldn't have been possible to do something of this scope and magnitude without having a, a really good crew. At least I'm speaking from the sound effects side of things there. It's one of these things that... Uh, You know, in the script, we were, you saw the spectacle, the big moments, but the things that were so compelling about the movie, about the script was the emotional story. So we knew that there was going to be these big moments, but the concern was always going to be, you know, just not wanting to overshadow and have people tune out and somehow lose the emotional thread of what the real movie was about. And then there's just the normal challenges of those kind of sequences of just fatigue, loud and bright and just harsh sounds that, um, and with this movie in particular, with all the lightning and electricity and things like that, that was just my main goal uh, from the beginning was just having everything round and soft and feeling like you're wrapped up in a blanket. <laughs> you know, having a, a soundtrack that's inviting that you don't mind turning up, that you have the power and energy, but you're not getting any of the stuff that hurts. And a lot of the building blocks, a lot of the editorial and design side was focused on, yeah, making these cool sounds and whatnot, but just making sure that they were they were good. Good quality sounds that we were going to really want to turn up. And then with Tim LeBlanc and Michael Keller uh, mixing it, you know, was the final kind of like uh, icing on the cake to to keep it all contained. And, uh, you know, there's there's different varying philosophies with movies like this where you want to hear you see all the little details, all the little stuff happening on screen. So we got to hear it all, too. But Andy wasn't one of those guys. He's kind of like, what's my focus? What's happening here? This is an emotional scene. We don't necessarily need to hear all the all the bric-a-brac, the about, all the stuff happening in the background. Even though it's, we're seeing it, it's like, why do we, we don't necessarily need to hear it. And so it was really kind of liberating to be able to kind of really, let's just focus on what we need to focus on. Singular sounds, clean sounds, and not get muddled down in the noise of maybe what would make it a ultra-realistic scene, you know, when we're just trying to occupy the headspace of these characters now and not really um, get into the the weeds
2: one thing I can say about John that I think makes him a great collaborator is that you know sometimes we tend to get a little too precious about our particular elements our work and you know music effects we all have to understand that we're here to make a full movie not a, not to showcase our own you know pets. So, you know, like the scene, the very last scene, which still makes me cry to this day. And it made me cry in the script when I read it is Ezra seeing his mom in the grocery store, knowing what he has to do. There's all this lightning going off and it was cool to hear. It was very low and reverb and it was cool. But Andy was like, you know what? I don't think we need it. Take it out. Let's hear the song. Let's just be with Barry at this moment with his mother. And it was the right call, you know, and we have to be open
1: same thing for Ben with this music. You know, sometimes people forget that it's a movie and it's it's about the sound effects. It's about, <laughs> you know, a particular line and dialogue. It's about the music, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it was really cool because we all kind of felt safe. We all felt that we were... There was no competition. It was really, we really all felt like we were working towards this. Yeah, no egos
2: involved. And
1: so Ben was just as adamant about exploring and let's just lean into sound effects here. Let's cut the the music here. You know, it was a really safe, fun environment to experiment and play with all the different ways the film could go. Yeah, so we were all at the end really super happy, I think, with with the soundtrack. Mm
0: -hmm. In talking about some of the major set pieces, is there a difference in how... Your work comes together in, for example, the scenes where the flash is running very fast. In other words, so a lot of things are frozen. And John, you reminded me of that when you said, Oh, we're going to leave out certain sounds, that it would sort of lean to that versus like the large battle scenes that are taking place with Batman and Supergirl and both flashes running around, a different sort of energy around the scene itself. How do you approach them differently from a sound perspective? The luxury
1: we had with this one was uh, the innate contrast in all these moments, you know, there's the two berries. There's the realism of real time versus the subjective nature of, you know, the speed force. All this, we had some really great built-in contrasts that could accentuate and work with the soundtrack to begin with. So, you know, the realism, we were very focused on making it tactile, immediate, and making sure that the electricity felt like that kind of bristling feeling you get when you, you know, unscrewing a light bulb and you just get a little zap or something, you know. And then also then segueing into the subjective stuff, which was um, I wanted to kind of, again, circle back to like just kind of having a more of a vibe feelings of softer sounds, more rounded off, focusing more on this kind of like pillowy low end kinds of things that um were a direct contrast then to the realism side. That was kind of the edict. It didn't necessarily come from Andy in that way, but um in kind of conversations with him about just the the feelings he was going for and the direction things were taking, it was it was obvious that was kind of where I was feeling it needed to go.
0: And so when I was presenting ideas, that was where I went. Stepping back from these larger set pieces where the sound editing work is more obvious, are there examples of other scenes where maybe it was smaller yet equally challenging, but not as noticeable because it was less or smaller than a listener might expect?
2: The first thing that comes to mind, just thinking of sometimes the absence of sound is as effective as the presence of sound. And so, and John can speak to this, it's really a design moment, but the Flash's first entry into the speed force is sonically one of my favorite moments in the movie where there's an explosion. There was score written through this section and we took it out and just heard singular footsteps in that speed force. And then we go to complete silence for just a moment. And then boom, he's in the coronable, score comes back, effects come back. It's a huge moment and it's made huger by the absence of sound, you know, leading up to it. So the way that was crafted and that all happened on the stage, you know, with all of us together at departments together, experimenting, trying different things. And then when Ben Walfish, the composer, came back, he was like, love it. Love that you took that piece out. It totally works for the film. It's another one of those examples of just everyone being collaborative and doing what's best for the movie. That's just a moment that I think worked great. And I loved it.
1: Piggybacking on that too. I mean, it's one of those moments too, where you feel like Barry goes into his, uh, you know, he breaks through whatever it is. He's breaking through the space time and he's in this little nether region before he goes into the chronobowl. You know, you've got all this uh, amazing visual kind of time travel visual thing going on. Your natural instinct is to kind of like, oh, we need whooshes and we need like bass drops and we need all kinds of really cool sound design. But uh, the thing to me that always anchors me into a scene is usually a character. It's usually like their vocal reactions is something that they're emoting to that I can connect with. And like Barry had this, like little, his own individual kind of like human kind of ah, like kind of re- like reactions as this is happening. I was like, that's what we got to use in that moment to like, that's our singu- our singularity. It's right when his his whole face kind of spaghettifies and, and stretches, but mm-hmm. he's got this great moment where he's carrying this singular sound. Everything focuses in on, on this this vocal element.
2: And that scream is his reaction to reliving like the worst day of his life and seeing his mom die, and it's it's that's the that's the heart of the scene.
1: A Sillier maybe moment was a uh, when young Barry. This is after uh, the original Barry gets his powers back, and they're in the Batcave, and young Barry starts assembling his own Flash suit. We get to the end of it this this moment, and it just cuts to just sound of him sawing through on the cow on on the bat the cowl, you know, the ears. And uh, you know, it was it was a very practical sounding thing and it and it worked, but we were all just kind of like, ah, it's just missing, it's missing something. And I was like, it needs I was like, it needs that just a minute. And I knew exactly it needs the what sounded. Like, <laughs> yeah. It needs a squeak. I was like, and I went and I had the, I had this plastic tub that I had like been rubbing my finger on. And I recorded these squealy noises. We prepped it and I put it in. And it was just like, it was like that little silly little thing that you don't think matters, but that just makes that moment. And like every time somebody would, we'd hear that, you know, it was like Michael Keller, the effects mixer, would just bust out laughing. No matter how many times that scene would come up, you'd always laugh at it.
0: What about other favorite scenes that we haven't already mentioned?
2: I have a couple. One is definitely not a big sound scene, but when Young Barry and Original Barry go back to Young Barry's apartment to try to come up with a plan and meet Young Barry's roommates and the music that's playing and him realizing he's in an alternative universe where Kevin Bacon is in Top Gun and (laughs) Marty McFly is Eric Stoltz. That scene is hilarious to me with the music and how it was cut. I think Paul Matchless cut that scene and it's so funny. And I think it never changed. And Andy, in fact, at one point said, "I don't know." And this was months, months, months into the process. He said, "I'm thinking of maybe asking him to do some different music." And we were like, "No, the scene is so great as it is. Don't change it." He said, "Okay, I won't change." Yeah, it. that character's
1: and what he's basically playing the music for the scene on the keyboards, like the sourced music, which was so funny and so good. And we all just couldn't believe it. It's like, "No, you can't change that. Don't break it." So good.
2: My other favorite is the the kitchen at Wayne Manor, the introduction of the different Batman. I love the music. I love the way the effects are timed to the music and the action is timed to the music. Uh and of course the reveal of Michael Keaton, who doesn't love that. Yeah,
1: that was that was amazing. One of my other little little sound nerdery moments that I, I loved was um, you know, when young Barry gets his powers for the first time and he he stands up and he realizes, powers? I have powers and, and he all of a sudden, you know, he's he rips through the his apartment, you know, and then he stops and he's jumping on the bed laughing with that obnoxious teenager laugh. The laugh was funny unto itself. And then he blasts off and spins around the room again. And I was like, there's just one little thing that's I think missing. And I was like, I, we, so we took his laugh and we continued it as he spun around the room and just kind of like pitched it up and had it speed up with all the lightning and all the whooshes around. So young Barry's laughing like a fool as he goes, goes around the room, which had never been in the movie. And we ended up, after all the temps and all the stuff we had never explored that option and finally like on the final stage we're like oh eureka and so that was one of my favorite moments too
2: and we ended up using that a couple times um, right i don't even know that it's very discernible to the audience but yeah i think we used it in the bat cave maybe maybe i don't know
1: if it if it's it's just
2: a nice yeah. little flavor of obnoxious young yeah. berry <laughs>
1: Yeah, I know. I think the whole opening of the movie is amazing. I remember reading the script and being like, how on earth is, uh, you know, the baby's falling and all this stuff. I'm like, this is crazy. I'm like, "Wait, like we'll see how this actually ends up. But I just think it's it's one of the, the pacing and the comedy versus action, all this stuff that's happening in an opener is so fun. And I just, every time we'd play it down, I just really, had, I never got tired of it.
0: If I sit down to rewatch the film and I really want to concentrate on the sound, you've mentioned some specific things that I'll definitely notice that might have slipped by the first time. But in general, is there something about the approach you recommend to me or are there other small things just throughout that I should pay more attention to? Again, if I'm really trying to understand and, and better appreciate the work you guys have done.
1: Oh, man, I don't know, Nancy. Nancy.
2: Sorry, Skid, we couldn't come up with a good one for yeah. this. Yeah. I mean, we were thinking about it. I'm like, I don't,
1: you know, it's not like we hit any silly Easter eggs or did anything that, you know, people need to hunt and peck for. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'd like to think that the electricity and things like that are a little bit different. You know, they're they're different than what we, you know, we're it's there's so much of it through the film that we're trying to really be intentional about how and when we hear it and the quality of it when we hear it and, and all that kind of stuff is is hopefully something fresh.
0: And maybe the question is flawed in the sense, do you think this is a film that you could just close your eyes and listen through? Or is the integration of the sound and the picture and the effects and all of it really the point in the end? Again, obviously that's what the movie's doing, but does the sound stand on its own or is it just a super integral part of the whole experience?
1: No, I think it stands on its own. I mean, there's, there's clearly, obviously you can't watch it with your eyes closed. But being a sound designer and uh, involved so intricately, it's like, you know, you want to be able to just close your eyes and appreciate that element to any movie, you know, I'm, I find myself like really enjoying certain things and not wanting to have the visual pardon the sacrilege, but you know, like the <laughs> distraction. And I just want to focus on my auditory cortex for a moment, <laughs> you know, and just <laughs> enjoy the sounds. And so, I mean, that's kind of one of the things we would strive for is just having a soundtrack that, Yeah. You know, if if you're into that kind of thing, you want to put it on your hi-fi or you want to your home theater, just listen to it as in the best environment possible. And so, yeah, we want to, we want to make a movie that like, hopefully all those audiophiles out there that have a home Atmos that they're going to want to put it on and say, yeah, that's a good movie. That's, that's something that's fun to listen to. It's fun to watch, but it's also, it's, it wouldn't work visually without the sound that you're hearing. John, I
0: can appreciate that. I'll probably give it a listen myself.
2: And before we go, I just want to make sure that we recognize a couple key people on our crew, including uh, Dialogue ADR editor, John Stuver, who I've literally worked with since my first day in LA for almost 25 years, dating myself. And then our first assistant sound editor, Jessie Paraso who also doubled as our Foley supervisor, who's the backbone of our entire crew. And we uh, never want to do it without her.
1: Yeah, if uh, she's the glue, like yeah, I don't know, we would be in real trouble. <laughs> Jesse wasn't wasn't involved. She's amazing. Yeah, we hope to keep working with her. You know, it's like it's you know she might uh, skedaddle. She's so talented. There's a lot of a lot of people that would love to have her.
0: Well, I hope you guys are able to keep the team together. Always happy to recognize everyone here. That is the spirit of below the line. On that note, we're going to call it a wrap. Great having you guys both. Really enjoyed this. Thanks. Thank kid. you so
2: much. This is great
0: listeners i always appreciate your feedback you'll find my contact info at our website blowthelineoneword.biz. the line one word, biz. that's b-i-z you'll also find past episodes and links to all of our social media so check it out where are we going to catch your sounds again in the future yeah we've got
1: some super super secret projects in the pipeline that we can't really <laughs> talk about right now but we're we're really excited we
2: them. are very excited about a couple movies coming up in the next couple of years it's a little early to start dropping names but uh Really looking forward to it.
0: All right. Well, I will put an alert on your INDB pages. And when new stuff does come <laughs> out, you'll be hearing from me. I hope you'll come back and talk about it. Awesome. My closing credits. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music, John Juan for our logo, and all of our listeners. I appreciate you. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. Thanks again from below the line. But if you wanted to say anything off of that.
2: Oh, God, the pressure of that.
0: I know, right? <laughs> Except there's this uh, huge safety net underneath that I'm going to fix it in post. Or <laughs> you guys can fix it in post. I If you guys got some free time, I'm happy to layer yeah.
2: it this one. <laughs> You can layer it in however you want. If only. <laughs>